This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. I encourage people, just keep showing up, keep that plotting, because God is doing something through it, and He's probably preparing you for the next season in ways you can't even see right now. Hi, I'm Carl Vaders, and welcome to The Church Lobby, Conversations on Faith and Ministry. My guest in this episode is Drew Dick, and we'll be talking about how just showing up can change everything. Drew is an author and an editor. His most recent book is Just Show Up, How Small Acts of Faithfulness Change Everything, A Guide for Exhausted Christians. In this episode, Drew and I cover so many of the important reasons why just showing up in people's lives is such an important aspect of life and ministry, including the value of our physical presence in pastoral ministry, that showing up in person matters because that's what Jesus did, why sometimes it's important just to play the role we're given even when our heart isn't in it, or at least for a season of time, and the importance of quantity versus quality time. And don't forget to stick around when the interview is done. I'll come back with an overview of the content and some practical takeaways. Well, Drew, welcome back. Well, I was going to say welcome back to the church lobby, but the last time you were on it, it was not the church lobby. So welcome to the church lobby podcast. <laughs> and we talk all the time anyway, so it is kind of a welcome back. But yes, thank you for having yeah. me excited about this. It is. You and I spend some time together because for those of you who don't know, uh, Drew is my editor at Moody. So we've been spending a lot of time because we've been working on my next book, but he's just ahead of me with his latest book. It's already in print and in hand. And uh, your book is called just, just Show Up. It's a short title, but you really like the long extended. You've got like two subtitles to this. <laughs> just Show Up, How Small Acts of Faithfulness Change Everything, which should be the end of it. But no, you add now in parentheses, a guide for exhausted Christians. You like the long subtitles, don't you? I did it with my last book and I had to do it again. And I figured, you know, there are a lot of exhausted Christians out there I'm counting on. So that's, mm. that's why I went for that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm one yeah, of them. exactly. So just show up every time I hear your title. This is not in your book at all. This has nothing to do with anything, but I know Drew Dick well enough to know that he can go with the flow. Every time I read the title of your book, just show up. I think of two different movies. One, obviously Forrest Gump who yes. all this stuff happens to him because he just happens to show up. He's there. Yeah. <laughs> but one before that going way deep and only real serious movie files will remember this being there starring mm. Peter Sellers as Chauncey Gardner. Wow. I'm obviously not a cinephile because I missed that one. You're going to have to watch it because it is your, it is your book in movie form. It's this simple guy who just happens to be in the right place or the wrong place at the right time. And his 
just physical presence in these particular places ends up being misunderstood. And it's very subtle and very underplayed as only Peter Sellers can do it. But yeah, called being there. Awesome. Adding it to my list. And I didn't think of yeah. that, but you're right. The Forrest Gump one is apt. I wish you would have told me that before I wrote the book so I could include <laughs> that. But <laughs> thanks a lot. Maybe for the reprint. No, yeah, but you're right. Because here's this guy, right? Who, you know, doesn't have the highest IQ. And yet he's in all these interesting situations where he plays a pivotal role. So, hey, you got to be there to do that. Let's get right into it. Because I love, I love it when people come out of the gate early in a book with a bold statement and then are able to back it up. And your bold statement really close to the front of the book is this, we're not called to change the world. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> what? But then you say, instead, we're called to small acts of ordinary faithfulness. Yeah. Let's talk yeah. about that. Yeah, no, you're right. That might be a little controversial. And 25-year-old Drew would have definitely disagreed with me. And I talk about this in the book, you know, but as I was writing this book, at least at the outset, I was thinking about back when I was in my 20s, going to seminary, my wife, Grace, and I, we had these very grandiose plans about what we were going to do for God. <laughs> and it was, wasn't all bad. I think that's good. That's part of being young and you're idealistic and you want to change the world. And I remember talking to her and being like, hey, listen, I know this is going to mean foregoing, you know, the American dream. Like, but I'm like, I don't want the, you know, house in the suburbs and the 2.5 children in the white picket fence. And she was totally with me. And she's just like, yeah, let's do something different. Let's do something radical. And here we are, Carl, 18 years later, we have a house in the suburbs. I have a mortgage, a minivan. <laughs> we eat out at Olive Garden. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then the question becomes, okay, God, what does faithfulness look like now? And don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining about my life. It's turned out great. And I'm able to do, I think what God, you know, the, the calling that God put on my life. And yet it's different than what I envisioned back in seminary. And so the question becomes, yeah, what does faithfulness look like now? And that's what I've come to the conclusion. God doesn't put that head trip on us. Like, Drew, you need to change the world. You know, that's God's job. Uh, but what he does call us to is those small acts of ordinary faithfulness. And the exciting thing is, I think when we do that, when we commit to just doing the next thing in front of us, not only is it psychologically easier and better for our soul, but God does what he wants through that, right? He can change the world through it, usually through a lot of people doing that but we just have to show up. So there's the title of the book. You use the word plodding with two D's, not two T's. Plodding. <laughs> important uh, distinction. <laughs> yeah, which again is, well, I was delighted when I read it because it's a term that I've actually used regularly. I've told people, you know, I'm not fast. I'm not strong. I'm not coordinated. I'm not, I don't think especially smart, but I can just keep going when everybody else seems to give up, I'm not going to stop going. So how do I keep myself in shape? I just keep walking. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to play a pickup game of basketball with people because I'm terrible at it. I have no coordination. I have no skill whatsoever. But you're six, six. That's why I brought the example up because it's what everybody thinks I should be able to play because of my height. But my height <laughs> gives me no advantage. I've got to have coordination as well, Drew. It doesn't work without that. <laughs> but True. with my stride, I can walk. I cannot walk almost anybody. I am a plodder. My entire ministry has been plodding. And this podcast is for all people in ministry, all people of Christian faith, but particularly our ministry is for small church pastors mm -hmm. for whom the greatest amount of their time is simply that it's just keep putting one foot in front of the other. So what's the value of shifting the mindset mm. from trying to change the world to I'm just going to keep plotting. Oh man. I like that. And yeah, I see that. I mean, you knowing a bit of your backstory, how you built a great blog, right? Just through that consistency. And I think it's hard for people, especially in our day and age, because people want to blow up overnight. You know, you go on Instagram, mm. you see these people just having, it seems overnight, tremendous success. 
And sometimes it can be a little discouraging because you're like, wow, did I miss the boat? What's going on here? And yet God can do incredible things when we just have that commitment to just plotting every day. You're not moving too fast. You're not trying to conquer the world. You're doing those small but important things every day. And the example I talk about in the book, of course, is William Carey, the father of modern missions. I mean, talk about a guy who changed the world. And yet his famous quote, right? He says, I have no special talent. I'm probably butchering it, but this is basically it. I have no special talent, but I can plod. (laughs) <laughs> that's mm-hmm. that's so yeah. cool because you just think of all that plotting. If you zoomed in on any one day of his life, you'd probably sit, you know, see him translating the Bible into Sanskrit or, you know, plotting literally across India. Yeah. Or he, he preached for like, I don't know, six or seven years before he got a single convert. The dude was a plotter. But look at what God was able to do through that commitment to ordinary plotting. So yeah, yeah it's not sexy. It's a little countercultural. And yet I think that's the best way to be. That's what I aspire to be. I don't know if I'm a plotter, but I'm an aspiring plotter. <laughs> I I am one simply because I have no other way to accomplish what I want to accomplish. And some of that is kind of, there is almost an advantage to not having, like I look around at people who excelled like in high school and sports or whatever, and I meet them again now and they're, you know, they're my age and we were together in high school. And there's this thing in the back of my head where it, did they actually just peak in high school. And oh, it, it's yeah. almost like, that special skill that it almost short circuits and almost makes it seem like you don't need to do the work everybody else needs to do. If you take a look, for instance, at professional league coaches, there are very few NHL, NFL, major league baseball, or NBA coaches who were superstars. Right. Right. Yeah. And you think there would be, but no. Yeah. You'd think like, you'd think, yeah. I mean, Larry Bird had a couple of really good years of coaching, but, that was all. And aside from him, everybody else, I mean, Pat Riley, uh, you know, who else is uh, Steve Kerr, who's doing amazing work with the, with an amazing team in Northern California and so on. These were good players. Yeah, that's right. They're role players. Yeah. But they were role. Yeah. They, they weren't exceptional. They had to learn how to plot and then it can be transferable to others. You cannot transfer almost supernatural talent to someone else, but you can transfer basic principle upon principle plotting and transfer that to others. Yeah, that's right. And you know, I think sometimes having incredible talent, while nice, especially early in life can actually sabotage you in a way because you're right. Like Mm. things just come naturally to you. You don't have to work that hard to succeed. Uh, Whereas the guy or gal who, who really struggles early on learns, oh man, I need to be consistent. I need to build these skills over time. I need to show up every day. Uh, And the example I actually give him in the book is my, my dad. He's the ultimate example of this to me because the dude struggled mightily in school. He, he failed one of a grade. He, he just, you know, got all C's and D's. And then he goes to Bible college. And even there, he struggled to the point where the school asked him not to return. <laughs> so he, but he shows up for year two. They ask him not to return again, does the same thing year three. He gets through, barely graduates, right? Yeah, and my yeah. dad, I got to say, I won't go into it. Like it's a long story, but he's the, he was the best pastor. You know, he's retired now, but he's the best pastor because he loved people. And one of the things he did in his first church was a smaller town and farming community, but he went to every single door, uh, every house in that town, knocked on the door and just struck up conversations with people because he was used to working hard. He was, he was a plotter, right? And that served him so well in ministry, even though it presented some challenges early on. So yeah, man, the power of plotting, it, it's big. And your dad's example leads to the second chapter, which is the value of showing up in person. And you say, the, the reason we do it, the reason you say is pretty simple, because that's what Jesus did, <laughs> right? There's and the, you even there's the Trump that, card. Yep. Yeah, there you go. And then you even say this wonderful little line, we're never more like Jesus than when we show up in person. 
Hmm. I love yeah. that little line. Walk us through the importance of that. We're never yeah. more like Jesus than when we show up in person. And I think, again, that's something that's a especially challenging in our day and age because we have all these technological devices that enable us not to be there, right? And I'm guilty, mm-hmm. as guilty, more guilty probably of that than anyone. I work from home. Even, you know, my meetings are on Zoom. And so, and it's wild. You've seen this probably when you're- We are home. two people here carrying we are. a conversation without showing up in person about exactly. the importance of showing up in person. So right. let's just admit that to everybody. <laughs> Get that right out there. <laughs> Embrace the irony. Absolutely. And, no, and, and this is good stuff, but- there's no replacement for that in-person interactions, especially when someone's hurting, right? And especially when someone's going through a tough time. And when you look back on the hard times of your life, you may remember what someone said to you, right? There may be a line or two that sticks in your head. Sometimes, frankly, I don't remember what was said to me, but I always remember who was there, right? Who was physically yeah. present. And, you know, one thing that, that drove this home for me was a couple, I have an anxiety disorder, you know, sometimes it's better than others, but a couple of um, Christmases ago, I was at a particularly low point. And my brother, Darren, heard about it. He sends me a text. He's like, I'm going to pick you up in 15 minutes. He pulls up in front of my house. I jump in the car and he says, we're going to go buy a whole bunch of winter jackets and hand them out to the homeless people in downtown Portland. And that's what he did. Went to Costco, loaded up, did that all night. And I realized though that honestly, it wasn't probably about helping the homeless as much as it was about helping me. And it was really cool because that's exactly what I needed. I needed to like stop thinking about my problems. I needed to help other people. I needed to get out of the house, right? But none of that would have been possible had he not shown up that night in person. It would have been fine, you know, send me a text. Hey man, praying for you or something like that. There's some merit in that, but man, there's nothing better than when people show up for you in person. And of course, like you said, the big theological dimension to this is that that's what God did for us in the person of Jesus, right? He could, he could have sent, you know, a message, but he sent a person and that was fundamental to Jesus's or foundational to Jesus's ministry to be with people. Like there were a lot of teachers who, who kind of isolated themselves. Jesus wasn't one of those. I love the descriptions in the gospel. He's got kids on his lap. He's got people touching his garment. He's got, he's touching diseased skins and, and disfigured limbs. And man, he was, and he, even when he's teaching, people are pressing against him. So he's with people and as his followers, man, that's what we need to be too. This is so in line with what we're trying to do with this ministry, because there has been, and there continues in some circles to be this almost uh, desire that to get the church so big that you now have other people who spend time with people who do the pastoring and you become this entrepreneur rather than the shepherd. And there's almost this desire to get away from the hands-on shepherding pastor role and into the entrepreneurial role of managing a staff who actually does the hands-on stuff for me. And somehow that's an ideal to strive for. It's wild. It's to be so successful in ministry, you don't have to do ministry. I guess. Right. <laughs> and so you can, yeah, be whisked away by your entourage after you speak and not have to to mix it up with folks. Right. And so, yeah. And I know a lot of the listeners to your podcast are small church pastors. So I just want to say those are the heroes in my view, as far as when it comes to this topic, because they're, they're in there in the trenches, they're with people, they're hanging out with people, they're visiting folks. And that's just not an option when the church is a little smaller. And that's a good thing because that's what pastoring, I don't have to tell you is all about is being with folks. So that those are my heroes. Listeners, when Drew says the small ch- church pastors are our hero, every once in a while you hear that and you, it sounds like lip service, 
But Drew's the guy who was online every year looking for somebody to write about small church stuff, found my stuff when nobody knew who I was and I didn't have an audience. And he watched me for a while and go, oh, this guy continues to write. He's plodding. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That was a big part of it was I just kept doing it. I was like, and he's not being mean to anybody. And he's actually in the trenches. I'm going to call him and see if he wants to write over here. This big thing at Leadership Magazine, eventually on Christianity Today. And Drew was the guy who grabbed that and brought me over to that because that, because you were specifically looking for that. So it's not just lip service. It's, I want someone to speak into this particular area. Who's got boots on the ground, who is doing this, this hands-on stuff. So that's, you know, to the listeners and my appreciation back to you for that as well. Well, thank you, Carl. Are you saying if I'm hearing you right, I made you right. Is that the, I discovered you and made you what you are today. I would say yes to that, except that you're already taking a cut from my books by being my editor, and I don't want to have to be responsible to give you another cut. <laughs> Good point. You're keeping me gainfully employed, so I'll, that's all the credit I need. <laughs> there we go. And now a short break to talk about something else. If you like the content you're hearing, here are two things you can do for us. First, forward this podcast to a friend. Second, consider becoming a financial supporter through Patreon, Venmo, or PayPal. Just go to carlvaders.com support. For as little as $3 a month, you can help us put these resources into the hands of the ministries that need them the most. Our support link is in the show notes. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Hey, a little bit of a shift, but not much, because it's really just going deeper into the book. You talk about, and I think it's a really important thing, about how showing up relates to God's will. And you talk about the difference between a general or common calling on the one side compared to a particular calling on the other side. This is a conversation I have with a lot of small church pastors. I love your take on it. Talk about how we find our particular calling by responding to the general or common calling that we all share. Yeah. And I think they are closely related. So just for you know, quick definitions, your common calling is just that which all Christians are called to do, right? If you're a Christian, you go, you know what? I don't, I don't think I really need to love the Lord, my God, or my neighbor as myself. Well, you might be uh, a little off there because yes, you, you are called to do that. If you're a follower of Jesus, yeah. uh, you don't have to find a sign in the sky to, to get that. You just open up your Bible. So that's the kind of the con- common calling. The particular calling is like, okay, like, what are you going to do as a career? Who are you going to marry? Where are you going to live? Those kind of particular things that are unique to you that may not apply to someone else. And honestly, growing up in the church, I heard a lot of unhelpful things about the topic, right? And a lot of things like, man, you have to, first of all, if you kind of commit too many sins, then you're going to miss 
God's calling your life, or mm-hmm. you need to get kind of spooky and, and look for mysterious signs or flip open your Bible to a random passage and, and God's going to tell you what to do. Listen, oh, God wow. can use those things. Miraculous things happen. He leads that way. Sometimes we know that from scripture, but in general, <laughs> at least in my experience, yeah. It's a little more prosaic, a little more ordinary than that. And the importance of that common calling is that sometimes you get so hung up on the particular calling that you forsake the common calling. That is just kind of like the spiritual disciplines, connecting with God, loving people, you know, walking out your calling as a Christian. And I found that in doing that, often your particular calling is revealed, right? And so what I say, I my chapter title in the book is find God's will with your feet. And that is, you just keep moving. You just keep taking the next step. And the person I, I talk about in scripture is Moses, right? Here's this guy, 40 years in the desert with these stinky sheep. <laughs> and he's probably thinking, mm-hmm. what happened to my life? I was supposed to be this great liberator of my people. Didn't pan out. And yet he didn't have to solve a riddle to find God's will for his life. He just had to keep tending sheep. And in the midst of that, God shows up to Moses and directs him. And I am convinced that his experience in the wilderness, tending those sheep was instrumental in his role leading Israel, right? Right. He wasn't as articulate as he used to be, but he was a walker. He had patience. He knew how to lead all of that. And of course, he was humbled probably by it as well. And God was using that. So I tell people, especially, and it's funny, you don't just, finding God's will isn't one off when you're 20 years old, <laughs> as I found. You need it all throughout your career and your life. And so often, especially when you're in a hard or dis- discouraging season, I encourage people, just keep showing up, keep that plotting, because God is doing something through it. And he's probably preparing you for the next season in ways you can't even see right now, like he was for Moses. So yeah, hang in there. Yeah. In fact, you go to, again, another really interesting counterintuitive place with this, where you say, sometimes it's good to play a role, even when your heart isn't in it. Like you actually tell people, I know you don't feel like it. I know it's, it's not really what you want to be doing right now, but play the role anyway. You don't say fake it till you make it because there's nothing faking about this. It's not faking, but playing the role. And one of the reasons you say is because because people are counting on us. That's right. What is it about just fulfilling the role, even when your heart isn't in it, that is character building? Hmm. Yeah. And I think maybe the pendulum has swung too far in the other direction where we kind of go, I have to be authentic, right? That's We play it's a high premium on authenticity, which is good. We don't want to be inauthentic, certainly. But to the degree where we think like, well, if I'm not really feeling it, like, maybe I shouldn't pray today because I'm just not feeling spiritual, or maybe I shouldn't lead these people because I'm not feeling like a leader, right? I mean, because sometimes you just have to play the role. And the weird way that we're wired, this is with spiritual disciplines, with leadership, you name it. Sometimes our feelings follow our actions, right? So even when your heart isn't in it, and yet you start, you step into a role, and then over time, you kind of own it and and the feelings come. I I remember one time this occurred to me, my wife, Grace said, um, had a a minor surgery. We were in the hospital, a little shaken, a little rattled. And our pastor uh, showed up, nice guy at a church that we're no longer at or anything because we moved. But I remember he plopped down in the chair beside her bed and he's just like, man, guys, things aren't going so well at the church. I don't even know if I'm supposed to be a pastor. And he just started airing all these (laughs) problems he was having, which he was being very authentic. Yeah. uh I thought, dude, I'd be happy to talk with you, you know, about that at another time, but we need a pastor right now. We need a man of God to show yeah. up here and pray yeah. for us. Yeah. We're scared. We need reassurance. Right. And what he needed to probably do in that moment was own that role, even though he wasn't feeling it. And so, yeah, that's something I encourage wow. people to do and, and roles, they shape and change us too. And, and often they're instrumental in growing into that calling that God has placed on our lives. More formed from the outside in than we realize by doing the thing 
and then becoming the thing that you're doing. <laughs> Isn't that true? And you think of all the guys in scripture that are like, God, me, no, I can't do this. Right? And God's like, yeah, you're going to yeah. do it. And, yeah. and lo and behold, things turned out. Yeah. Which reminds me, one of the things you do, and it, it's a main component of the book is that you bring out example, example after example from scripture of people who were plotters who do this. So for those of you who are interested in the book, uh, it is just filled with scriptural examples. That's kind of the the backbone, the spine of the entire book is, you know, let's take a look at people in the Bible who did exactly uh, this. And speaking of, of the Bible, you do, you then take several different aspects of our Christian life and you talk about how to just show up for this, how to plod through it. One of them in chapter six is you kind of lower the bar for Bible reading. So walk us through, <laughs> uh, walk us through some of that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think this applies and it sounds bad lowering the bar, but I think it's, it's something that's effective sometimes because I have tried to read through the Bible many times in a year and I've actually done it, but more often than not, I don't, <laughs> I'll just be honest. Right. Mm -hmm. And, or I, I remember talking to a friend who's like, yeah, I'm trying to read like an hour and a half of my Bible every day. And it's just been really hard. And I was like, man, what are you talking? You've got three kids. You've got a demanding day job. You've got all these things going on. This is totally unrealistic. Right. And then what happens is when we fail in our spiritual disciplines, we go, oh man, I'm just going to give up altogether. Right. This is why the new year's mm -hmm. resolutions don't work. You get like a few days in you're failing. Then you just kind of throw it all out the window. And then what happens is you start ignoring your Bible for days, weeks, months. Uh, and I know by the way, that even pastors struggle with this. <laughs> no, sadly, oh, yeah. you can get to the point where you're only opening your Bible to teach it or only praying when you're praying in front of other people, if you're not careful. So my thing is, this has just been a, a thing for me. It's like, just crack open your Bible every day. That's all. I mean, even mm -hmm. if you only read three verses, you know, that adds up to quite a bit over time or, and as is often the case, you might read two or three verses and then you kind of get into the groove and you finish a chapter or two, but just kind of building those, those little habits into your life or just starting each day by praying to God for a few minutes, right? Just building prayer into your life as kind of a regular yeah. habit. But again, if you start too big, <laughs> you're going to overwhelm yourself. It's kind of like going to the gym. You go to the gym and try to run five miles the first time or, or bench 300 pounds. You're going to injure yourself or, and not come back. But starting small, there's a lot of wisdom in that. So I talked yeah. about that a little bit as well. Doing it rather than not doing it. In fact, because it's coming up in conversation, I haven't grabbed it. But in my new book that's coming out in April that you you uh, have helped with the editing of, there is a some really, really interesting research that's come out recently that shows reading the Bible once or twice a week has very little difference on our spiritual maturity. But the moment you get to four times a week, all of a sudden there's this big jump in our spiritual maturity. And I think it's because from three days to four days, all of a sudden you're now reading it more days than you're not reading it. Yeah. Isn't that true? And it's just that regular nourishment, right? It's like food. Yeah. If you're eating once a week, well, I mean, you might survive, <laughs> but <laughs> you, you need that regular, uh, yeah. that regular nourishment from God's word. Absolutely. Now, and you approach church attendance in somewhat the same way. Walk us through that with the importance of just showing, literally just showing up at church. Yeah. And this is where I might get in trouble with pastors because I already had one that said, I hate it when people are late for church and I get it, especially when you're a pastor. But the title of one of the chapters is just show up for church, even if you're late. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and maybe that was yep. me making excuses for myself because I got some young kids. We live 30 minutes away from our church and often we show up late. But of course, it's the same principle. It's like, man, you're there. That's huge. Right. And this is a message yeah. I think that's needed so much, especially having come through the pandemic, you're well aware <laughs> of the numbers yeah. of people in attendance being down. 
not bouncing back in the way that a lot of people thought they might. We've seen a huge drop off in people. And then, of course, there's the problem of the quote unquote regular attenders that now come, you know, once or twice a month rather than three or four times a month. Oh, yeah. You can blame secularization, Sunday soccer, you name it. But it's a huge problem. And I, I try to approach it not in a legalistic way where it's like, come on, man, get yourself to church, but highlighting the benefits that you miss out on if you don't. There's so many times when I get to church, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm tired. I don't know if we can make it. One of the kids is kind of sick. Let's see. But when I go, I never regret it, right? We have a, an elder that closes our services often saying, are you glad you came to church? And every time I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I am so mm-hmm. glad I came here because you need that fellowship and other people need you. And so it's, it's a crucial thing, not in a legalistic way, but really honestly, just for the benefit it, it provides us. Yeah. And for any pastors who are concerned about Drew's salvation at this point, um, <laughs> I understand your fears or mine for that matter. Obviously just show up is not the end game. It's the on-ramp. That's well said. Again, something I wish I would have heard before I wrote the book. It's <laughs> great. Yeah. It's a starting point, right? Cause if you start small and you just show up, cause I, I have people that are like, well, I don't know. Should I, should I try to be an elder? Should I lead this ministry? And it's like, well, first just go to church right? Yeah. <laughs> Let's oh, yeah. you know, kind of go there. Cause then once you do, you're going to naturally get more involved. You're going to meet people all of a sudden, you know, there's going to be an opportunity that arises that, that you're good for. So, but don't put the cart before the horse is kind of what I'm encouraging people to do, but yeah, you don't stop there. You want to read your Bible more. You want to go deeper in the word. You want to go, you know, be involved in your church, all of that. Absolutely. You have a piece where you talk about your chapter 10 is on the importance of letting some things slide. So you you actually go all the way to, eh, don't worry about some stuff at all. But you actually walk through some really important stuff about that. So I'm going to let everybody know we're going to talk about that for about 10 minutes or so in the bonus material. So if you are a regular listener, you know about this. But if you're new to this because you just saw that Drew was on and you don't know who this Carl guy is, you can get the bonus material very easily. If you become a financial supporter, go to carlvaders.com slash support and you can become a financial supporter and you get all of the bonus material or for free, you can get it by going to carlvaders.com slash subscribe and that will subscribe you to our free Friday newsletter. You'll get it every Friday and every time in that newsletter, there will be a link to the bonus material for all of the podcasts that we've done. So you can go back through all of that, but that is only available for supporters and subscribers. So uh, if you want to know about what it means to let, just let something slide and why that's really important for this whole process we're talking about, we're going to do that in the bonus material in a little bit. But before we do that, and before we get to the lightning round, you have a very interesting and I think important take on the value of quantity time versus quality time. Walk us through that. Yeah, this is something I've realized just being a a father (laughs) that people talk about, well, you need quality time with your kids. That's true. You know, I need to put my phone down more and just look my kids in the eyes, do activities with them. But I think there's a bit of a lie in there too, where it's like, okay, you can work 80 hours a week and spend an hour with your kid or with someone or your spouse. And as long as it's quality time, you're good. Because I think, I think the quality time is usually in the quantity time, right? Mm -hmm. When you're making meals, when you're cleaning, when you're fighting, when you're helping someone with homework, uh, when you're kind of just doing the everyday stuff of life. You know, when I look back at my childhood, I can count on zero fingers, (laughs) How many times my mom sat down with me on the floor and said, Drew, we're going to do a craft together or we're going to, you know, play a game. You know, I mean, she was a great mom, but it was, it was a little different time and it wasn't maybe as child centric, but she was a great mom. It was just that she was there with me. Yeah. So yeah, I think that it's easy to overlook that. 
And that's with anything too. Like when we're with people that we're ministering to, obviously you can't be as with them as much as maybe your children or something, but just that time to be by their side. And sometimes you don't know what to say. I think that's what keeps us oftentimes from being with people physically, at least me. I think, oh man, if I'm going to show up there, I got to have the right thing to say. I got to have some sage advice to give or something like that. And then I'm like, yeah, I don't really know what to do in this situation. I'm just going to let someone else handle it. That's not what people want. They want your presence, right? And you don't even know what to say often until you get there. And even if you don't, just being there is half the battle. So yeah, Yeah. quantity time and then the quality time comes from that. Yeah, I, I think we've become so enamored with our industrialization and our mechanization and efficiency. And I think we labor under almost this tyranny of efficiency Mm. where the idea of just spending time with people without any particular agenda somehow seems wrong to us, but it's only been a generation or two where the idea that we got to squeeze something of obvious value out of every moment has even been in our in our brain at all. This is not the way people have lived life until very, very recently. And by all evidences of it, it's not really healthy for us to have to jam efficiency into absolutely everything we do. Yeah. And I think people can sense that too when they're a project, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. Having more time with folks where you're just showing up without an agenda, without some sort of objective in mind. I think that's huge. When you think of your favorite people too, it's rarely the people that are like, they're engaging you because they want something out of you and they want it fast. It's usually the people that just going to hang out, listen to you, do things with you. And then that's where the growth comes. I mean, look at Jesus, right? He spends the majority of his time. Of course, he spoke to crowds, spends the majority of his time with 12 guys. And there was just a lot of life in there, you know, in between the teaching. and, And yet I think that was all formative for them. You cite that the biggest, perhaps the biggest predictor of long-term faithfulness for people, that is young people growing up in the Mm -hmm. church, and then when they uh, get older, whether or not they're going to stay in the church, the biggest predictor of whether or not young people will stay in the church when they're older isn't how great the preacher was. It isn't how efficient the services were. It's not how good the bass player was in the band. You don't say any of that. I'm adding that uh, just for some color. (laughs) But you say the biggest predictor is intergenerational relationships with people in the church. Not just that I'm hanging out with other kids in the youth group, but that people of other generations in the church are investing periods of time with me with no agenda. Talk through the importance of that. Isn't that discouraging? Wouldn't it be nice if it was your scintillating preaching or your incredible singing? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure my and, church is the exception to the rule. Of course, of course. Preacher. And if you're listening to this preacher, your preaching is the thing. <laughs> yeah. And that comes from, that study came from the Fuller Youth Institute, if I'm re- remembering it correctly. But right. I just found, yeah, the number one predictor of whether a young person is going to retain his or her faith was whether there were intergenerational relationships. In other words, if they were connected to older, mature Christians, that was something that helped sustain them. And there's a practical dimension to this because if they're just connected to their peers in youth group, for instance... Then they go to college, they'd age out of the church, essentially, if the youth group was their church, right? I'm not trying to get into the whole youth ministry. I think there's a place for it for sure. But sometimes that age segmentation can hurt us. And so, man, you're so right, though. Like, I talked to a lot of older Christians. I, my first book was about young people leaving the faith. So I had a lot of conversations with the concerned parents and stuff. And they'd be like, man, we just got to get like a cooler, you know, more relevant pastor or yeah, yeah, the, the fog machine or whatever it is to engage young people. And I'm like, you are the answer to your prayers. 
You don't realize that. You know what a teenager needs, a 20-something needs? They need an older person who's not cool, but who cares, who's going to show up and be present in their life. Man, that's huge. You can be a mentor to them, build into them, hang out with them, support them in various ways. That will do so much towards their maturation spiritually and otherwise. So that's one thing I'd love to see more older Christians investing in the lives of younger Christians as far as a retention strategy, but just loving on them. That's huge. It's amazing how often this will come up as people get older and mature and you start talking about their influences and they start talking about, you mentioned someone who's not cool, how often they'll mention the not cool person who just showed up and had the the goofy joke and didn't get what the latest thing was, but was just <laughs> consistent and was there and was honorable and honest. These are the things that at the time you do them don't seem to feel like they're as valuable as in the long term they absolutely are for us because you just showed up. Yeah. yeah. And that's encouraging to you and to others. Of course, I'm still cool. And so uh, it yeah, doesn't well, really apply to me, but yes, yeah. for the rest of you. The rest of us are trying. We You just come by it naturally. So, you know, it's just the way it goes. <laughs> so again, the book is Just Show Up, How Small Acts of Faithfulness Change Everything, A Guide for Exhausted Christians. We are going to get to the lightning round in a moment. But again, a quick reminder, when we're done with this, we are going to record about 10 minutes of bonus material on the importance of letting some things slide. What should you just let go of? completely. And if you want to get that, the links will be in the show notes so that you can get that. That's only for supporters and subscribers. But for now, you've already done the lightning round questions once. So hopefully you've come up with some new creative answers. <laughs> oh no. As you were with us before. And if not, none of us of can remember what the first answers were anyway. Perfect. So Neither let's can I. do them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Number one, what are the biggest changes you've seen in your field of ministry in the last few years and how have you adapted to it? Wow. Great question. So yeah, you know, I'm, I kind of burn the publishing candle on both ends. I'm an author, but I'm also an editor, like you mentioned. And one thing that we've seen recently is slight, but significant decline in the number of people reading it actually during the pandemic, it edged up a little bit, but since then, maybe it's because people are out and about and not at home reading as much. It could be the next generation. I know they're not reading as much. It's a more visually oriented culture. So that's a challenge. And here's another challenge for Christian books specifically, we've noticed that often if a book's going to do well, it's going to be kind of word of mouth, right? People start telling each other about it. And that often happens on a Sunday when Christians gather or after when they go out for lunch. I see where you're going with this. Yeah. Right. And so, and, and like we've been talking about, those rates are down quite dramatically. Um, and so that's hurt the ministry in which I'm in, which is Christian publishing. And so, yeah, what's the answer to that? I don't know. I mean, one thing that as far as people not having enough time to read audio is kind of the growing edge. Uh, we've seen a little bit of a uh, bump up in that, but mainly <laughs> we just want to see Christians getting back together again, primarily just a fellowship, but then to talk and to get the resources that we create. So uh, it's definitely a challenge. We don't have it figured out all yet. Just show up. All right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Second back. one. Yeah. What free resource like an app or a website has helped you lately that you'd recommend for small church ministry? Oh man. Well, this might not be uh, specific to pastors, but one app that I use daily is called Pocket. It's this place where you can store all the articles that you come across. And then this is great for me is that I just, instead of getting interrupted when I see an interesting article, because that can just you know derail me, I, I put it in my Pocket app. And after a day or, or two, then I have enough articles that when I go for my walk or jog, I will open the pocket app and it reads the articles to you. 
Now the the voice oh. the voice is a little robotic, right? So it's yeah, I imagine yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but still, it's not oh, it's not wow. bad. It's getting better all the time. So I just I listen to articles primarily now rather than read them. So that's a nice little little app that I've really appreciated. Oh yeah, I'm gonna look that up. I use Feedly, but I don't think Feedly. At least I'm not aware that it has the reading uh, aspect to it for the same yeah, that's thing. The well, big that's thing great for me. Yeah, pocket. Yeah, that's huge. That's great. Okay, number three. What's the best piece of ministry advice you've ever received? Man, I don't know who gave it to me, but I remember, and this is a common phrase, but basically abandon the outcomes to God, <laughs> right? When you, I remember with my first book, it had sold a few thousand copies after a year and I'd pushed it like crazy. And I remember being kind of down in the mouth about it because every first time author thinks their book's going to explode and sell a million copies and Oprah's going to call and, you know, and I remember Grace saying to me, like, what's wrong with you? That's like a few thousand people that were potentially impacted by what you wrote and don't look down on that, you know? And in fact, in doing so, when you kind of look down your nose at the outcome of your ministry, it's kind of disrespectful to God who used it in, in ways that maybe you don't even understand yet. And so that, that was a good thing for me that if I struggle with the sin, it's the sin of census, you know, that David had in scripture where he counts the fighting men. right? And, and you can, there's so many ways to do that in ministry, right? Either it's counting mm-hmm. people at church or I'm counting book sales, or I'm looking at this and you're trying to gauge all the time. Where am I? How broad is my reach and my impact? That's corrosive for your soul. Abandon the out- outcomes to God. Finally, what's the funniest or weirdest thing you've ever seen in church? Oh man, how do I narrow that down? <laughs> the weirdest thing I've done? Uh, no. <laughs> so I, I grew up in a small inner city church. My dad was the pastor. We had a soup kitchen. It was a great church. But we had a, a lot of homeless folks in our church too, which created some interesting moments. I remember there was one guy who didn't understand the concept of rhetorical questions, right? And so my dad would be preaching. And I remember one one time he was preaching and he said, what would Jesus say to you today? Right. A rhetorical question. We know we church folks to be quiet when that happens. And this guy pipes up, he looks around and he's like, I don't know, probably quit drinking and get a job. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. It was awesome. Very refreshing. It's always refreshing to actually be around people that don't get church culture and just respond (laughs) like normal human beings. Absolutely. I love it. That's great. Hey, how can people find you online if they want to follow up on anything? Sure. Yeah. I got a website, Drew Dick. My last name is dyck.com. And you can, you know, read a free article or free chapter from the book there and see some cheesy pictures of me and my family. I'm on Twitter. What's it called now? X, X X, X.com. Too much. Yeah. I'm still struggling with that transition. I spend too much time on there. So you can, or if you want to just show up in person, I'm in the Northwest. We can go grab a coffee, hang out, go to Powell's best bookstore in the world, actually hang out together in person. Soon. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm going to be in your neighborhood soon. We'll talk about it. Yes. <laughs> yes. We'll do it Alrighty. again. So remember a reminder of the book, just show up how small acts of faithfulness change everything, a guide for exhausted Christians. We're going to be getting into the bonus material. So we encourage you to follow us over there. But in the meantime, for this particular episode, thanks Drew for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's been fun. Drew always has a refreshing take on subjects like this, doesn't he? In this conversation, I've grabbed onto a handful of important principles. Let me give you just five of them. First, we're not called to change the world. We're called to simple acts of everyday faithfulness. Secondly, if we do the simple faithful things we're called to do, Christ will take care of the rest. Three, the importance of plodding putting one foot in front of the other for long periods of time can never be underestimated. 
forth. I love Drew's take on the importance of fulfilling our general or common calling, that is, doing what every Christian is called to do, and how our particular or unique calling will come out of that through simple faithfulness. And fifth, how showing up is not the end game. It's the on-ramp for healthy life and ministry. If you want more from Drew, you can support us at carlvaders.com support or get the free weekly newsletter at carlvaders.com subscribe. All supporters and subscribers will get the private code to gain access to all of our bonus material, including 10 minutes or so that I spent with Drew talking about the importance of letting some things slide. This episode was produced by Veronica Beaver. It was edited by Phil Vaders. Original theme music was written and performed by Jack Wilkins of jackwilkinsmusic.com. The graphic design is by Solomon Joy. And me, I'm Carl Vaders, and I hope to talk with you again in the church lobby.